Welcome to Visionaries. I'm John LaValle, your host. You'll find us every Monday at 10 a.m. on the Progressive Radio Network. That's PRN.FM. And today, my guest is Jennifer Dampier. And she's the author of a new book, Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edge of Sleep. Jennifer, are you there? Here I am. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Great. Thank you. So tell us about your book, and then I'll ask you some hard questions like, what is dreaming? <laughs> um, my book is about liminal dreaming, which is the dream state between awake and asleep. It's hypnagogia as you're falling asleep and hypnopompia as you're waking up. And they're really, it's a very extraordinary mind state, the state of liminal dreaming, in which you are both um, still awake and also uh, dreaming and asleep. Liminal, mm-hmm. liminal refers to, it comes from the Latin word limen, um, and it means like doorway or threshold. So liminal spaces are those that are both and neither. Interesting. So let's start with the hard question. <laughs> in the field of consciousness studies, there's something called the hard question. Sure. Which is, what is consciousness? So what is dreaming and where do dreams come from? Well, uh, it's actually, that's an extremely interesting question. And one, uh, I've had, I mean, I definitely had debates with people about uh, liminal dream spaces, hypnagogia and hypnopotamia, because some people say, well, that's not dreaming. Um, uh, but I, I I believe it is. I mean, your your eyes are closed. You're um, partly asleep, or you're partly awake, and you are having um, dream uh, experiences. So I mean, you know, normally dreaming. I mean, dreaming refers to what happens when these um, you know visions and experiences that you have when you're asleep. Mm. So let me ask you about your metaphysical position. And do you believe that dreams come from processes going on in, to use that word, the brain, or are we in touch with some transcendent realm? Well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a pretty big uh, spectrum between those two choices. Um, uh, you know, I just, well, and I write about this in the book. I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in than I am in answers, um, and I tend to not uh, operate so much in the realm of belief. I'm really, um, you know, I'm a phenomenologist. I'm really interested uh-huh. in, in what the in what the experience is. What is the experience that people are having, and you know, so. Um, you know, dreams are an extraordinary experience. I mean, it's, it's you know, what a weird thing to have be common to all humanity, this incredible visionary wild ride that we all experience, you know. Uh, I got an idea for your next book. 
Okay. 100, the 101 Greatest Dreams, from, <laughs> I guess from literature and biography. There's certainly a lot of them. One of the things I love about my, about my work is that, um, I mean, a lot of people are, you know, what's, it's the Oscar Wilde, um, the Oscar Wilde line about um, uh, good conversation uh, never, it's like never involves, you know, dreams or religion or politics. I don't know exactly remember how it goes, but um, you know, the, the idea that dreams are very, very boring. But I, but I'm quite interested in them, and people always tell me they're really interesting dreams. Right. So, uh, what do you do? How did you come to write this book? Are are you a therapist? How are you in touch with this whole field? I so I'm not, and um, uh, the the two things that this book is not about, it's not about interpreting dreams, and it's not about lucid dreams. Although I do talk about lucid dreaming in it, um, uh, I'm I'm really it's really about this this particular remarkable state. Um, I'm a very avid dreamer, and I've been doing um, work on dreams for decades uh, in various uh, on lucid dreaming on. Onerogens, which are um, anything that promotes vivid dreams, like you know herbs or foods or whatever. Um, and four or five, five or six years ago, I started really paying attention to the hypnagogic dreams. I, I, sometimes I realize that my body can fall asleep before my mind does, mm-hmm. and that there's a weird dream space in in that experience. And so I started really concentrating on it, and I and I realized that. Um, a, these are some of the most extraordinary experiences that I've had. They're very different from REM dreams, and I can talk about that in a minute. Um, and B, nobody's talking about it. Right? I mean, almost nobody has written about hypnagogia, even though it's, it's an amazing topic and, and people have been using it for various purposes you know, throughout the history of humanity, you know, from, from the sweepy idea of mundus imaginalis to... Um, modern inventions, you know, the periodic table was conceived in a in a hypnagogic dream. Um, you know, uh, the um, the benzene ring was uh, was you know uh, figured out about the benzene ring in a hypnagogic dream. Um, you know, Agassi figured out how to chip away stone to find fossils. And I mean, it's, I mean, lots of people have used hypnagogic and hypnosis for various purposes and um you know both scientific and religious and um uh, for mental health etc so um so i you know i just got really fascinated by the topic and realized that nobody was talking about it so that's the book fantastic you mentioned in the book thomas edison and we're all told when you know we're in the fourth grade and we learn about thomas edison who is famous for little sleep but lots of cat naps and I always thought, oh, well, those catnaps were to, a way to get enough sleep. And so maybe, in fact, he was uh, going in and out of dream states to be more imaginatively productive. In fact, he was. And Thomas Edison and Salvador Dali, independently of each other, came up with the same practice for using hypnagogia, Edison to generate ideas for inventions, and Dali to generate ideas for art. And what they would do is um, each man, when feeling sleepy, late afternoon is a good time when you have that kind of energy dip, would, would uh, get metal plates and put them on the floor next on either side of an easy chair or on one side of the easy chair in case of um, delay. And then they would sit back 
comfortably in the chair, Edison holding a ball in each hand and Dali holding a big brass Spanish key, so he says. And then they would go into, they would let themselves drift into hypnagogia. And as soon as they started to fall asleep, as soon as they started to leave the hypnagogic state, they would drop the balls or the key naturally because they would be starting to fall asleep. They would loosen their grip. And um, the key or balls hitting the metal plates would wake them. And Edison kept a notebook and a pencil and Dolly kept a sketch pad next to him. And as soon as, and they would just bolt upright and start writing down ideas or start sketching. And this is how, so this is how Edison came up with a lot of his ideas was by, by, you know, actively using a liminal dream state, um, hypnagogia, to try to generate ideas. And I, I actually use it myself in the same way. And I've, I've written parts of, um, I, you know, I give talks and workshops with a public speaker. I've written parts of talks in using that method. Cool. I've, uh, years ago, I had no problem remembering my dreams. I, you know, when I was in psychotherapy, uh, I could always bring in dreams. And then more recently, or well, maybe 10, 15 years ago, when I was in psychotherapy, I realized I wasn't remembering my dreams much. I knew I had them, but I, my, my therapist thought I was uh, uh, blocked from my subconscious. I thought I just had a poor mechanism for getting them from short-term memory to long-term memory because I would have a vague recollection on the instant of awakening, but then it would immediately go poof. So I had to keep an alarm clock, you know, set for two in the morning to wake up to write down my dreams to have something to bring to psychotherapy. Right. Well, one of the things that's great about liminal dreaming um, is it's really, especially hypnagogia, which is when you're falling asleep, it's very easy to go into those spaces uh, and use methods to um, sort of wake yourself so you can remember those dreams. A lot of people who have a hard time remembering REM dreams actually have quite an easy time with hypnagogia and hypnopotmia, though not everybody experiences hypnopotmia. Um, and so people who are trying to get in touch with unconscious for whatever reason, be it you know therapy or problem solving or art or just you know, consciousness experimentation. You know, it's great to work with hypnagogia because you can you know, you can use these these short exercises and dip in. But the, the my book is really very much about practices and exercises, and there are about eighteen exercises in the book that you can undertake um, to learn to locate and linger in liminal dream, and then to um, use it for various purposes, like the Dolly Edison practice is there oh. so if you're if you're if, if people who are interested in trying to remember dreams um it's it's a really good device for them why, why don't you tell us some of those because if this dream is taking place right before falling asleep you're probably not going to remember it eight hours later when you wake up no you so. probably aren't and um and so uh you can do these at night and you'll you'll remember that you had a cool experience or, or you can nap during the day and then when you when you nap during the day that's when you'll sort of remember these dreams so um for example a very easy practice is uh, uh public napping it's just tr- napping places where you're not going to fully fall asleep because that will keep you in the in the edge realm between awake and asleep a little bit longer 
um, because you won't fall asleep as quickly. And so, you know, go to a public park or if you're on a, if you're on a road trip, um, and obviously, and you're not the driver, climb into the back seat of the car um, and curl up there and try to take a nap or, you know, lean the seat back. And those, those are really good ways to keep yourself from going in all the way asleep. And so that will keep you in the liminal dream space. There's a lot of more, I have a lot of more involved exercises, which people, can, which people can find on my website, which is liminaldreaming.com. And, and give us the name of your book again and where people should look for that. And your liminal, liminal Dreaming, Exploring okay. Consciousness at the Edge of Sleep. And um, uh, Jennifer Dumper, that's me. <clears throat> and um, you can buy can it. You, can you spell the name and is it available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. Um, it's you know it's distributed by Penguin, so it's available pretty much anywhere you buy your books. But yes, it's, you, you absolutely can get it on Amazon um, or any online book service. And my last name is D U M as in Mary, P as in Peter, E R T as in cup of tea. Great. I uh, I can tell when I'm in that state if I'm, you know, one of the ways I go to sleep is. I re I've watched all the episodes of Big Bang Theory so many times I know them by heart. So <laughs> I'll I'll rerun one of them line by line and it's about five minutes of that and I'm asleep. But I can tell if I if I wake up if my wife comes into the room or something, uh that if if things have gotten really weird, then you know, wait a minute, that doesn't happen in reality. Then I know I've uh, was in a semi dream state. Yes, I'm, I've I've had people tell me a lot of these kinds of stories. Um, like somebody was telling me that um uh, he has this he reads in bed, and he says often he'll be reading, and then he'll he'll realize that the story has gotten very weird, and then he'll realize that he's actually the book is on his chest and he's napping. Right. And he he says often books. Um, consists of, you know, one part the actual book and one part his dreaming mind, which I love. Yeah, that that's sort of what happens to me. So uh, tell us some of the techniques that our listeners can use for access to this state and what kinds of things might they want to have access to this state for. Okay. Um, and that's a very big answer. And, and um I'll start with just one really easy exercise, uh, which is something I call the feedback loop. And what you do is um, lie, wait until you're sleepy. So um, maybe uh, at night, but before you go to bed, um, try it in a chair or try it on the couch or in the late afternoon when you're feeling really sleepy and lie back and just um, exhale really deeply and let the exhale relax your body and loosen your mind a little bit. Just sort of relax your mind and wait for something to come. And it might be a sound for a lot of people. Hypnagogia is very um, aural. It's very uh, based around sound. So it might be a sound or um, it might be points of light flickering, or it might just be um, your imagination is kind of starting to widen and you're, you ha- you're imagining something or thinking something that's kind of the beginning of a dream. 
Um, because you know, keeping in mind that awake and asleep are actually a spectrum. It's not like you're awake. It's not like zero and one on off. There's a there's a there's a continuity of consciousness between mm-hmm. awake and asleep. And imagination is 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 a doorway from um, from full waking into the hypnagogia. So it might be that your imagination is sort of starting to come to the fore, and and let that whatever that is. Um, be what's in your consciousness and then exhale again. And as you exhale, relax your body, exhale out all of your waking energy and, you know, loosen your mind and let yourself relax further into sleep and let the energy that you're exhaling animate the beginning of the hypnagogic dream. And then, and then basically feedback loop between your self and the liminal dream, letting your, as your waking energy is leaving you, let it animate the beginning of the hypnagogic dream. And then, and then you'll learn to locate it that way. Yeah. Um, so I was just wait for a minute. We don't want to put our listeners to sleep or maybe, <laughs> but you, do you happen to have what you just did as a recording on your website? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, if you go right. so to liminal dreaming, how to how to find it, and then so liminal use... liminal dreaming dot com, and there's a section called uh, uh, practices. And if you go there, there are uh, several exercises that you can that you can use. And then there's me um, uh, leading you people through the exercise that I just gave you. Great. Um, so now tell us some of the things that people you've worked with or your awareness you're aware of have used this formal dreaming technique for. Why would someone want to do it? What what can one get from it? Well, there's I mean there's the the very uh, straightforward. I mean you 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 brought up the the hard problem, and I am I'm a I am a student of consciousness studies, and really that's where a lot of my interest lies. I mean, it's just, it's a remarkable experience, um, much more unusual even than REM dreams um, because it tends to be sort of non-narrative, free associative. So it's a really amazing just experience to have. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of playing with my mind and developing different practices around liminal dreaming. But you can also use it for um, creativity like the um, the Edison Dali exercise that I gave you, for example, um, and you can keep a sketch pad next to you or keep a you know a notebook, or you can I use I use voice activated recorder. Or you can buy an app for your phone so that as soon as you um, are coming to, you can just start mumbling. And actually, at this point, I can I can speak when I'm in a hypnagogic dream. Oh, um, so it's oh. it's it's great for you know creativity, problem solving. Um, you know, it's it's really good for if you're if you're trying to answer a question, you can use dream incubation. And the the underlying premise being that you already know the answer, but in your somewhere in your unconscious, it's just a matter of of accessing it. So you can you know it's a way of accessing because what what because you're both awake and dreaming at the same time, you have a different kind of access to your unconscious because your your waking mind. Um, uh, is aware of what your dreaming mind is doing, so it you know it's great for you know trying to find 
answers to some degree that you already know. It's a form of mindfulness meditation. Yoga Nidra is a way of um, getting at liminal dream space. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's an excellent form of meditation because all there really is is the unfolding moment in a liminal dream. I mean, there, there often isn't even a subject object. There's not you having you moving through a world like there is in a REM dream or a lucid dream. There's only what's happening. No, no you, no other. And so mm-hmm. all, there, all there is is this moment of unfolding consciousness, which is, you know, a lot of what they tell you in, in mindfulness, mindfulness meditation that you're trying to do is, is follow that moment. So it's great for that. Interesting. Uh, you've uh, uh, sparked another interest of mine. So before we come back to liminal dreaming, would you like to tell us a bit about your interest in consciousness studies, what you've encountered, what you can tell is going on in the field at the moment? Well, I'm, um, you know, I really am. So the, the hard problem, you know, which is, you know, you know, what is consciousness and the relationship of mind to matter and, you know, what, what you know, the, the experience of mind and what that is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's one way to consciousness because it's such a strange form of it. Our minds never stop. Our minds never stop, right? And so, that, you know, the, the idea of consciousness of that that we're animated by this, you know, I mean, and even just my language to say that I am animated by consciousness. To separate myself somehow from consciousness, or to separate consciousness from matter. I mean, these are these are very these are very difficult questions. You know, like the the, the classic um, Nagel essay, "What is it to be a bat?" You know, because bats are perceiving with sonar. You know, I mean, you, you basically can't know the experience of somebody else. You know, you can sort of have this kind of this kind of radical empathy. Um, you know, which is a sort of a, you know, phenomenologist uh, riff, you know, what the experience is of someone else. So to go into these, <clears throat> to go into these dream spaces and, and be able to observe what your mind is doing in this different kind of format really tells you a lot about just how mind works. Yeah, I like to uh, describe when I talk about Buddhism to my students, I like to describe it as a science in which they look at the mind and they do it by sitting for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years and watching what it does. And yeah. having universities called monasteries where there are a thousand people doing that and yeah. doing that for hundreds of years. And maybe they've come up with a lot of uh, insight. Yes, absolutely. And if you, and if you, you know, basically observe your own mind, you learn a lot. And as you say, if you observe your own mind over a space of time, you know, when um, when I was a child, I've always been a really avid dreamer. And when I was a child, I used to sleepwalk um, uh-huh. and um, in dream states. And my mother said, and my mother used to get wake up in the middle of the night and go and see if I was in my bed um, because I often wasn't. And then... Um, Often I was um, downstairs sitting underneath the dining room table, and she said she would come and, and kind of get me and 
you know, bring me back to bed. And she said one night she came downstairs and I was under the, she's like, Jenny, what are you doing? And I said, I'm listening to my mind work. (laughs) So I've been doing this my whole life. (laughs) So just, Joseph Campbell likes to, to uh, define yoga as the spontaneous, the uh, deliberate ceasing of the spontaneous chatter of the mind stuff. Yes, exactly. I was just talking to my yoga teacher about that quote. In fact, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I like to think when I think about dreams. One of the things is so. Let's say it's a regular dream, which is uh, oh, uh, maybe a narrative. Uh, okay. Does the mind know the end of the story before the narration begins? And if so, where in the mind is the story before it's told in the dream? <laughs> right. And how about this one? In the womb, um, fetuses in the womb are in REM the vast majority of the time. So what are they dreaming about? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I mean, <clears throat> and... You know, and so in terms of, you know, you know, dream as meditation, and, you know, I'm kind of almost going the other way rather than trying to quiet my mind. I'm really letting it go. Yeah. Except oh, I, let me except, just, let's just interrupt on that fetus uh, issue. I actually have a very smart niece is now much older, but many years ago, when she was about three, I could ask her what it was like before she was born. Right. At that age. So our listeners, if you know somebody young enough, ask them that question, see what you get, because they, they, they do think they remember things sometimes. Yeah, there's, um, uh, there's, I just was reading something, I don't remember where, where uh, uh, on the baby monitor, they, uh, the, their, the baby in the crib, and then the young, their other uh, child who was, you know, just at speaking age, crept into the room where the where the baby was in the crib, and the, in the baby monitor, they heard her saying to the baby, um, "I'm starting to forget. Remind me what it was like." <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, vaguely related when my sister, who's about two and a half years younger, would be in our crib babbling, and, and my mother couldn't understand, you know, th- th- it was just babbling. I could understand it and interpret it. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, uh, so our engineer's going to have to splice two calls, two calls together. Okay. Um, let um, me go back to what I was saying. Yeah, um, so wait a minute. Uh, let me just say... So this is John LaBelle. You're listening to Visionaries. We're on every Monday morning at 10 a.m. at prn.fm. And you can catch all of our back shows, including this one by tomorrow, at visionaries.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And my guest today is Jennifer, and pronounce your last name again? Dimper. Dimper. And we're talking about her book, Liminal Dreaming. So, Jennifer, I just interrupted you in the middle of something. Uh, pick up where we left off. Sure. I was saying that dream spaces really give you access to a lot of interesting parts in your mind. So, Liminal Dreaming has uh, become my primary 
practice, you know, in terms of like a meditation practice. And uh, I've been I've been mapping out the different um, levels of hypnagogia. So I, you know, I can sort of find four distinct levels between awake and asleep. And at the lightest one, um, I uh, I discovered this one at the opera. I was at a production of Carmen with my in-laws, and it wasn't a great production. So I was spending a lot of time with my eyes closed, drifting in liminal dream space. But I wanted to track the production nonetheless. And so I was listening to the music, and every time the music changed, so I knew something different was happening in the story, I would open my eyes and I would read the super titles, and then I would close my eyes and go back into the dream space. So I was awake enough to be tracking the music and be, to be opening my eyes pretty frequently to be reading the titles, but I was also in dream space. And I realized that at that level, at the lightest level of hypnagogia, um, re- unlocks memory. Like I have access to really vivid, uh, sensorily rich memories of childhood, you know, like the public pool and what it looked like and the color of the lockers and the color of my sister's bathing suit and the smell of the pool and, you know, remembering times that we were there and going, you know, riding my bike there with my friends. I mean, just things from childhood that I hadn't remembered, you know, in well since, you know. The, and the, smell, the smell of chlorine. <laughs> the smell of chlorine. And it was so vivid, that, you know, the easy bake oven and the smell of the baking chocolate cake and then the, the taste of it as, you know, my little friends and I all sat around and, you know, bake things in the easy bake oven. And just, I mean, it really unlocks memory in, in amazing ways. It gives me access to my own experience that, um, that I had lost, for example. Cool. So uh, it sounds like you're primarily using these techniques to explore your own mind. Uh, can you describe some people you write about or people you've encountered and what other things they use it for? Sure. Um, so I talked about the Sufi idea of mundus imaginalis. So um, it's kind of like the uh, the world between our world and you know the, and the heavens, basically our world um, and uh, you know the realms of of the gods. You know, <clears throat> is the mundus imaginalis, and it's a place that that um, that can be accessed. So basically, it's a it's a liminal dream space or um, uh, yoga nidra is another so yoga nidra much like um, like asana yoga so the, the yoga with postures and poses that we go to yoga class to, to study this um, yoga nidra is actually a meditation technique a guided meditation where you lie on the ground and you're guided into what I think is a, a hypnagogic space and some yoga nidra teachers agree with me and much like um, asana yoga, it's first mentioned in very ancient texts, although the, how we practice it is much more codified in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, the idea is that you're, uh, you're relaxing your body as much as you can, which, uh, and you're, in, you're in, in, the, in the going inward. You know, if you read Patanjali's Eight Limbs of Yoga, he sort of talks about the process of going inward right you know you're starting with the outward practices and then you're ending with like deep unconsciousness but prachahara is kind of the 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 moment 
between outward and inner, so the liminal zone between self and other, really, and that's kind of what you're accessing in the yoga nidra space. So the so the you know the liminal space you know between self and other. Um, there are um, uh, people working with. Um, there's a guy named Dr. Christopher Kerr uh, who uh, is in Buffalo, New York, and there's the story in my book of my aunt dying in his hospice and realizing that my aunt was in hypnagogia after she left her waking consciousness to which she never returned. She spent a couple of weeks in a hypnagogic zone and I mm. could actually talk to her and because she was in this dream zone. And that's what this, this, this guy, and they're doing a Netflix special on him. He's also just written a book. And what he writes about is that dying people are in liminal dream space, you know, um, oh. So it's, again, the, the, the liminal zone between life and death uh, is also liminal dream space. The Tibetan Buddhists um, who famously, um, some, some forms of Tibetan Buddhism, um, some schools of Tibetan Buddhism practice dream yoga, which is uh, basically lucid dreaming, but they, the, the first step in these practices is um, gaining uh, facility with liminal dreaming. It's learning to uh, consciously and mindfully uh, go through hypnagogia. And then, and then ideally you want to stay conscious through your death so that you can don't freak out and get a bad reincarnation. You got it. Go through the bardo, which is, again, the liminal zone between life and death, according to the Tibetan Buddhists. Um, you know, so, uh, so, you know, liminal dreaming is good practice for the bardo, <laughs> uh, if that's if that's what you expect to be happening to you. Um, now, do you um, do you make um, are you taken seriously by? Do you make contributions to academic consciousness studies, or do you find a lack of receptiveness about uh, whether either liminal dreaming or Eastern thought? Well, definitely with the liminal dreaming. I do. People are very interested in. I mean, right now people are starting to pay a little bit more attention to hypnagogia. It's it's really and it's really not studied. There there are so few books on the topic. There's a book from the 1980s by a guy named Andreas Mavramados um, about that, that's called hypnagogia. Um, but really, there are just there are so few studies of this topic. But as people are paying a little bit more attention to mind and to consciousness, um, they're starting to um, think a little bit more about all the states that we go through. You know, um, liminal dream spaces, hypnagogia and hypnopotmia, not only are they subjectively some of the strangest experiences we have, objectively they are also, so in terms of like EEG, right? So if you think about the workings of brains as kind of chemicals and electricity, you know, the, the electricity part is measured by EEG. And um, we all know the way that an EEG line looks, right? And most um, brainwave states, you know, so there are, there's, a, there's, you know, if you, if you, court, if you, uh, you know, trace the mind, um, trace the brain really uh, over the course of 24 hours, there's only so many brainwave states that we go through, right? You know, right now we're having, um, you know, a pretty engaged conversation so we're uh probably in uh, a state of um of beta right so 
our brain waves are you know going you know are like you know fluctuating at a at a very certain level again there there are only so many of these brainwave states right so right now uh we're uh we're awake and so we're probably you know something like you know 8 to 13 hertz uh you know, cycles per second. So it's uh, it's one particular brainwave state. And, you know, if you're really, really deep sleep, like the slowest our brainwaves go, you're probably in like 0.5 to 3 or 4. So there's one brainwave. Theta, which is where most of our sleep is in theta, really deep meditators go in to theta, and that has two distinct um, sort of lines that, that uh, hypnagogia and hypnopamia have six. So there's so as a brainwave state as a brain state it's way more chaotic than other states. You know it's got all these different. It's the shortest one. We spend less time in hypnagogia and hypnopamia by far than we do in any of the other brainwave states that um, that we regularly through which we regularly pass. Um, and yet it's it's got it's there's the most happening in terms of like different you know EEG signatures and it's got some of alpha and it's got some of theta and it's got some of its own things it's jumping all over the place so you know people are very interested in that partly because it's such a strange state interesting so let me describe something that you're doing that i think is missing from a lot of consciousness studies and that is simply to observe what consciousness does yeah Uh, so you know if you sort of follow psychology in the uh, 1950s, it ran totally into a dead-end ditch of behaviorism in right. which it denied that there was any internal mind. And then um, it's uh, very much often studied by uh, computer scientists and um, uh, philosophers into logic who are looking at what logic does, although there may not be any evidence that the mind works that way. In the meantime, there are fields which do exhibit what the mind does, like art. So I'm a big fan of uh, Anton Ehrenzweig, who wrote a book, The Psychoanalysis of Artistic Vision and Hearing. And what he does is he looks at music, he looks at uh, art, and he looks at how it's different in different cultures and different periods and sees those differences as evidences of differences in the way the mind works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and you were talking earlier about the, you know, the Buddhist, you know, the, you know, the, the, the idea of, you know, Buddhism that, you know, the Buddhism beyond belief, basically, uh, you know, which is about the, you know, observing the mind, you know, like observing what experience is, and through that, making conclusions. And one of the things that I, I, I try to do, so just now talking, for example, what, what the brain is doing, I, I really try to both talk about the subjective experience and the objective knowledge. Because I think if, if, you are, I think if you're only talking about what the brain is doing, you're missing the boat on the whole picture. But I think if you are only talking about what your experience is, you're not taking advantage of a of a huge wealth of knowledge. So, talking so what, both of, what do you mean by objective knowledge? So things, for example, looking at what 
um, what brainwaves are doing, understanding the science of, of dreams, of what's happening, what parts of the brain are lighting up. Um, and like, like reading the science of dreaming actually will, will, you know, and if you align what your experience is, with the science. So, for example, in my book, this is a really easy example. In my book, there's a, a chart that shows the stages that you go through over the course of a night, you know, and what your brain waves are doing. Um, and looking at that and understanding, you know, and you, we all go through more or less the same cycles in the same order over the course of a night, right? And so, understanding the science of what's happening really helps you understand what your dreaming is because you start to be able to identify what the different phases are. I mean, if you're at all a conscious dreamer, and um, I'm really interested in this idea of a conscious dreamer, of someone who's gaining some facility with their own dream life, and by this I don't mean lucid dreaming, I just mean having awareness around it, um, then you start to you start to be able to recognize what these different phases are, and you learn a lot. About so it's your mind. interesting when you describe the science. There's a uh, in the seventies when psychologists would interview people about which meditation technique would you trust. Do you want to study with uh, a meditation technique that's uh, developed by brain science? or one developed by an Eastern master? And the answer was uh, one that comes from an Eastern master, but has been confirmed by brain science. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. So listen, um, let's start to wrap up. And uh, tell us again the name of your book, where people find it, about your website, and then we'll see if there's anything else you want to say before we sign off. Sure. My book is Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edge of Sleep. Um, and it's available on Amazon or pretty much anywhere where you buy books, all large bookstores. Um, maybe if, you're, if your local bookstore doesn't have it, they can certainly order it for you. Um, and you always should support your local bookstore if you can. And you can uh, find uh, exercises for practicing liminal dreaming and some basic information. And um, some of my talks and interviews uh, on my website, which is liminaldreaming.com. And I tweet a dream daily. I've been doing this for 11 years. Oh, good. As at Onerifer. O-N-E-I-R-O-F-E-R. Terrific. Okay, so um, uh, anything else you want to say that we haven't covered? Not really. I mean, you're, I mean just to say that your, your mind is an amazing, vast, fine-tuned, remarkable instrument slash toy. And go ahead and explore it. Play with it. Experiment with it. It's one of the most satisfying things about being human. <laughs> Great. Well, Jennifer, thank you. This is John Lovell, your host on Visionaries. You find us every Monday at 10 a.m. That's 10 a.m. Eastern Time on PRN.FM. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you.